I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. Deep in the mountainous rainforest of southeastern Brazil, not far from the village of Domingos Marchings, grows a plant. Its stalks are long and narrow, a crown of dangling green. It grows out of the mist, below the canopy, slowly creeping up the trunks of trees. As it matures, it hangs above the ground like a chandelier, the blades of each leaf splayed like the wings of an angel. The plant's name is Philodendron Spiritus Sancti. Latin for Holy Ghost, it is one of the rarest plants in the world. Only a few specimens grow in the wild. To plant collectors, the words Spiritus Sancti elicit goosebumps. The plant's name is spoken with hushed religious reverence. Many call it the Holy Grail of philodendrons. It's only found in the wild in one small town in Brazil at this point, as far as we know. That's Dr. Ari Novi. He's the president and CEO of the San Diego Botanic Garden. A big part about why it has such value to collectors is it has very beautiful, long leaves. It looks fantastic, and it's incredibly hard to propagate. A botched cutting, for example, could kill the entire plant. And that's why captive Spiritus Sancti specimens are best handled by professionals, people like Dr. Novi and the folks at the garden in San Diego. We have about 5,000, a little over 5,000 individual plant taxa or species that are represented within our collections. It is an ungodly (laughs) diversity of plants. This collection includes rare and endangered species like the Hawaiian hibiscus, a.k.a. Hibiscus rosa sinensis, the bastard quiver tree, or Aleodendron pilansii, and of course, the holy relic of southern Brazil. (laughs) 
For years, the Spiritus Sancti was one of San Diego's centerpieces. It hangs high above the ground, delicately suspended from the greenhouse's ceiling, far out of reach of passersby. At least, that's what they thought. One morning in May 2020, a garden employee stepped into the greenhouse, peered up, and witnessed a blasphemy. Our director of horticulture at the time was in the, the garden, and he felt like that basket looked a little less full. Eventually got out a ladder and climbed up and saw that this plant had been kind of hacked off. It became clear what had happened. In the dead of night, somebody had broken into the garden, grabbed a pole saw, or a long pair of loppers, and hacked off pieces of the treasured plant. The heist seemed meticulously planned. There were no signs of breaking or entering. There are other valuable plants in that space that they were not targeted. But it certainly seems like somebody was aware of our habits. You know, somebody was, for lack of a better term, kind of casing the joint for a while. The reason they targeted the Spiritus? Money. That was probably the single highest value plant in the collection of the Botanic Garden in terms of what you could get for resale value. This plant could sell for between ten dollars and $15,000 on the open market. $15,000. A Spiritus Sancti is more than a plant. It's a status symbol, an investment, a limited edition Rolex that knows photosynthesis. And that price tag has done much more than simply drain the pockets of rich plant lovers. It's fueled a spree of crime and lies and deceit. I'm Summer Rain Oaks. On this episode, a look inside a booming craze for houseplants and how a cultural obsession and the human instinct to keep up with the Joneses might be killing the things we love the most. From School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts, this is Bad Seeds. It's 2012, and a small crowd is gathered for the International Royd Society Fall Show and Sale in Florida. It's an annual banquet, and this year, Dr. Tom Crowett of the Missouri Botanical Garden and Tom Moore, founder of the Tropical Fern and Exotic Plant Society, are holding a plant they call the Pièce de Résistance. Okay. Mortgage your house, sell your children, and buy this plant. It's better than stock market. It's a spiritus sancti, a small one, but a spiritus nonetheless. And then the well bidding worth, begins. Well worth your money tonight. Give me a fifty-dollar opening bid. Two hundred. How much? Two hundred. Two hundred up front. I got two hundred up front over here. Three hundred over here. Three hundred over here. Three. I got four hundred in the back. I got four hundred in the back. I got four hundred in the back. You gonna let this go for four hundred dollars? Of course not. The bids keep rising. 500, 700, 900. I got 950. I got 950 to her, 970. 970. I got 970. I got 970. I got just over a decade later, that price seems quaint. Now, I remember when I first learned about the Spiritus Sancti, 
It was five years ago, and I was doing a tour with a popular aroid grower, Enid Afolter. During that tour, I got to see the plant for the first time. This is the awesome Spiritus Sancti, one of the most rare philodendrons in the world. Uh, it's not in a lot of collections, and um, it's hard to get a hold of one, actually. She tried to convey just how rare this plant was. But to be honest, I didn't really grasp it at the time. Well, they're, first, they're expensive, and they're hard to get. There's only a few people that even would ever have one to sell. Few would ever loan you a cutting either. That scarcity, however, drives an aggressive market for the rare plants. It keeps prices high. In fact, if you bought and held onto that plant auctioned off in Florida, its value would have yielded an annual rate of return of about 28%, beating out gold. Prices have been turbocharged in the past few years, so much so that it's taken experts like Dr. Ari Novi by surprise. We knew that, that plant prices were going up and that during the pandemic, you know, people were getting more enthusiastic about house plants and even some rare plants, which mostly we looked at as a wonderful thing. But, you know, we started looking at eBay and other things and being like, oh, my God, we didn't realize that the same plant that you used to be able to buy for $15 at Home Depot now goes for three, $400. Driving this boom is classic supply and demand. There aren't many plants, but there are a ton of people who want them. So prices go up. In fact, one online plant store in Britain saw sales surge 500% during lockdown. But who are these people driving up prices? If you read the headlines, it seems pretty obvious. California hipster plants at the center of smuggling crisis. What is it with millennials and cactuses? If only hipsters had stuck to their handlebar mustaches and craft beer, this never would have happened. Yep. The same people who got blamed for killing the napkin industry, mayonnaise, the 9-to-5 workday, and lately, well, pretty much everything else. Millennials. We saw a whole generation of young people who previously weren't that engaged in houseplants get excited about it. And and again, that is 99% awesome. The only thing about it that's not awesome is that it, it did lead to a market that encouraged theft and poachings. The pandemic, of course, deserves a lot of blame, too. Millions of us trapped inside and craving something to do, began transforming our homes into sanctuaries. And it wasn't long before viral posts on TikTok began touting the plant mom and plant dad lifestyle. But the question I keep coming back to is, is that the real reason this plant craze is happening? Or is there something about human nature, something dark, that just makes us crazy for plants? Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, 
if someone presented this program to me and not just because I've already experienced it. Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective um, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's the thing about our recent plant obsession. It's nothing new. Just ask Charles Mackay. In the 1840s, Mackay, a Scottish journalist, became fascinated with herd behavior, how certain interests or beliefs grew to overtake entire cultures. So in 1841, Mackay published the first volume of his book, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Witch hunts, alchemy, the Crusades, the book plumbed the darkest recesses of the human mind. And in it, Mackay concluded that these trends and obsessions are just part of a cultural cycle. Millions of people become simultaneously impressed with one delusion and run after it, till their attention is caught by some new folly more captivating than the first. One such folly, he wrote, was an irrational mania for plants. Specifically, tulips. It's the 1630s, Holland. New trade routes just opened to the Ottoman Empire leading the Dutch to, quote-unquote, discover new foods, new spices, new ideas, and, of course, new plants. It's an exciting time, 
and people are positively enchanted with everything coming out of the Far East, including a vibrant flower native to the lush valleys of modern China and Afghanistan, the tulip. Within years, everybody in Holland wanted to get their hands on some tulips. According to Mackay, speculators began buying up bulbs, not with the intent of planting them, but in the hopes of just reselling them for a profit. And this get-rich scheme? It worked! The cost of tulips skyrocketed, with some bulbs fetching more than a single year's wage. One bulb was valued to cost as much as 12 acres of corn. But then, the craze stopped. People came to their senses, the bubble burst, speculators panicked, and prices, according to some estimates, collapsed as much as 99%. And some people lost everything. Now, it's important to note that Mackay had a habit of bending the truth a bit. His reports that this tulip mania plunged Holland into economic ruin are exaggerated. But the obsession was very real. As was another plant madness growing right outside Mackay's front door. This time, it was ferns. In 19th century Britain, ferns were inescapable. Botanic gardens overflowed with fern specimens. Readers gobbled up literature on the subject and turned niche fern collecting books into bestsellers. People subscribed to fern magazines and joined fern societies with fern-loving propagandists arguing that owning ferns was proof of intelligence that, quote, improved virility and mental health. But beyond all that, they were just another way to show off. Well-to-do collectors hired explorers to trot around Panama, Honduras, and Tasmania to find rare ferns. Meanwhile, the middle class trekked towards coastal hillsides and dug up the plants themselves. It was like a treasure hunt, and it wasn't always fun and games. According to the September 1867 Floral World and Garden Guide, one British woman, Miss Jane Myers, plunged off a cliff 170 feet to her death while trying to pick a fern. Like tulips, the price of foreign ferns exploded, with some selling for more than $1,000 in today's money. Crooks caught wind pretty fast. Knowing they could earn an easy shilling, they started poaching ferns. It got so bad that botanists started to worry about the plant's survival. In his book, The Flora of Cornwall, the botanist F.H. Davy wrote, Such shameful plundering has gone on that I now hesitate to speak or write about localities where the royal fern grows. As the naturalist Peter D.A. Boyd tells us, it was an epidemic with careless poachers catering to the demand of fern enthusiasts. The search for wild species led to the plundering of woodlands and hillsides, streamsides, and whole woodlands would be effectively destroyed as regards their ferns by collecting literally tons of fern plants, where unscrupulous collectors didn't think about what effect it might have on the environment. For most of the 19th century, there was no law against collecting ferns. But that changed. In February 1896, a periodical called The Gardener's Chronicle documented the punishment for a pair of fern thieves. Fern stealers. William Moby and Charles Williams of Bexley, Kent, 
were engaged with a horse and cart in the wholesale removal of ferns. Moby was sentenced to six weeks hard labor and Williams to one month. The wholesale plunder of ferns would turn the whole British countryside into one big crime scene. And that sparked the conservation movement. Such damage led to the first legal plant protection in Britain. Some of those laws, however, would arrive too late. The Killarney fern, or Trichomanes speciosum, admired for its lacy, almost translucent leaves, nearly went extinct in Scotland. And that brings us back to the present day and our pandemic-induced plant mania. It reminds me of something that Dr. Ari Novi told us. But if you buy illegal plants, you may be financing the destruction of an irreplaceable ecosystem that cannot come back. So the stakes are kind of high. And like I said, we unfortunately now have evidence that this big, big plant craze during the pandemic may have wiped out several species around the world just, just from poaching. So it, it's, it's not trivial. But who is really to blame? Is that boom in prices and the surge in poaching really driven by millennials? To find the answer, we had to go to the coastal cliffs of Northern California. High above crashing waves and not far from the meandering curves of Highway 1 grows Dudlia farinosa, a small cliff-dwelling succulent nicknamed bluff lettuce. Around 2018, succulent poachers started plaguing these coasts, plucking thousands of Dudlia from the cliffside. Many of the people who were caught were Korean. One stole $600,000 worth of succulents. Headline writers pounced. Soon news agencies were claiming that these thieves were motivated by, quote, housewives and hipsters, people who are willing to pay hundreds of dollars for a single succulent. You might remember our friend Dr. Jared Margulis. So the obvious sort of narratives emerged that every housewife and hipster in South Korea wanted one of these Dudlia and that there was this succulent mania happening in East Asia that was driving this trade and that people just saw an opportunity to steal the plants and make a huge profit off of it. In other words, the madness of crowds was just working its magic again. But something about that narrative didn't sit right with Dr. Margulis. Like, why would somebody steal Dudleya? These plants were legally available for purchase from a variety of outlets in California. And they sort of look like a commonplace succulent. You know, they have a nice, pretty rosette shape, and they put out a lovely sort of inflorescence and flower. They're not a rare species. And so people were pretty confused why suddenly it looked like people were stealing them by the thousands from their habitat. Not to mention that bluff lettuce, it's not a beginner's plant. Dudleyas are really hard to grow as houseplants and they really require an enormous amount of specialized care to keep them alive outside of their native habitat on the west coast of California. So these were not plants that were being bought and sold by your typical succulent consumer. This didn't sound like the madness of crowds at work. This sounded like something else. Dr. Margulis needed to know more. I decided I had to go spend some time in South Korea to try to really understand and do my best to analyze these narratives and what was really happening in the trade there. So Margulis flew to Korea. He visited nurseries and garden centers and talked to shop owners about Dudley sales. 
he discovered they were not a widely popular succulent plant amongst mainstream consumers. In Seoul, Margulis popped into three of the city's largest succulent markets. Only one was selling the California succulent. The vendor complained about a lack of demand. This didn't fit the narrative played out back home. These plants are really were only being sought by highly specialized collectors, with a, typically with a lot of skill and capacity to care for them. Owning and maintaining either professional greenhouses or renting space in someone else's greenhouse in order to keep them alive. This was not sort of being driven by mainstream consumer culture. One plant dealer told Margulis point blank, this isn't about Chinese collectors or Japanese collectors or Korean collectors. This is about individual collectors and what they want. Millennial plant moms and plant dads weren't driving the crime spree in California. It was a small group of collectors, hardcore hobbyists, demanding that the plant be ripped from the ground. And as it turns out, they'd do just about anything to have it. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. 
The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear the pain in Dr. Novi's voice when he thinks back to the spirit of Sancti Heist. It would almost have been better if, like, somebody was trying to steal our computers and, like, ruin the plants incidentally because... You know, you sort of understand petty theft, but this is like premeditated, let's find the rarest plant around here and steal it, taking it away from public usage. After the initial shock of the robbery, the Botanic Garden notified police, who at first didn't really understand the magnitude of the crime. Probably the first second we were talking to law enforcement, they probably were like, you know, this is some person in a neighborhood and like, you know, some neighbor stole their prizes. But like, you know, as soon as we said, here's here's who we are, this plant could sell for between ten dollars and $15,000 on the open market. Like, they're like, oh. And I think they, you know, treated it like any object, you know, of that level of value. If, you know, if somebody called up and said, you know, hey, someone stole my car. But the Botanic Garden was already at a disadvantage. When it comes to high-level plant crimes, most local law enforcement officers are extremely inexperienced. Back in the 1990s, when the garden did have the theft of cycads, the garden benefited from the fact that the sheriff's office in San Diego had an agricultural crimes division. That's right. An entire unit dedicated to plant crimes. Which is not super common, especially these days. So there are no longer, to our knowledge, detectives within the San Diego law enforcement community that are specifically trained on and or daily dealing with agricultural plant and animal theft. Law enforcement doesn't get to practice it as much. It means a certain kind of expertise is not present when it does happen. So to say the least, the police did not turn up many promising leads. At one point, they suggested the possibility of an inside job. The idea had merit. One prominent plant influencer online bragged that whenever he volunteered at Botanic Gardens, he'd steal rare clippings. The practice called proplifting, a portmanteau of propagate and shoplifting, is increasingly common. A Reddit page dedicated to legal, and I stress legal, proplifting has more than 200,000 members. But in San Diego, the theft of the Spiritus Sancti went beyond simple proplifting. This was the work of an obsessive who knew what they were doing. And it would only be solved with the help of other obsessives. And that is when the garden started getting tips from other plant lovers. People began trawling forums and social media looking for somebody, anybody, trying to sell the famed plant. We started to get tips from the online Aroid community saying, hey, we're seeing some chatter, you know, in some of the uh, you know, blogs and social media that there might be a plant for sale that sounds like it might potentially be yours. The timing is right, the size and this and that. Pictures of the plant in question 
began turning up in the San Diego botanist's inbox. One of them caught Novi's eye. Plant people are like dog people. And, you know, we look at the plants in the same way that dog people or other pet owners, you know, or pet parents, you know, look at their pets. And so, you know, we know how many leaves <laughs> were on that one. We know the color differences between young leaves and old leaves. And so we told law enforcement and others that the plant in question looked a heck of a lot like our plant. So the police did their investigation. Law enforcement actually went to see one of the individuals who some people in the community thought either may have stolen it or somehow acquired it. You know, maybe they thought it was legal and, and was reselling it. Law enforcement told us that the person had an alibi or, or, or just there wasn't enough evidence and they couldn't move any further. So the investigation stalled. And Novi and his colleagues resigned themselves to the fact that the plant was probably lost forever. I would put money on the fact that this plant died. I mean, this thing was so hacked up, like, you know, they're very hard to root. I think somebody sold this plant for $15,000 and the person who bought it didn't really know what they were doing. And I think it died. You know, that's like for us, you know, and, and when you've cared for that plant for 10 or more years, and it's, it's pretty devastating, you know. But I think like everything else, you know, you try to build resilience from tragedy. But that's tough because the theft at the San Diego Botanic Garden It's not uncommon. The list of thefts from institutions to community gardens stretches from Jerusalem to Sydney to Penang. In Christchurch, New Zealand, a single plant worth 3,000 New Zealand dollars was pilfered. In Coral Gables, Florida, robbers ran off with $2,000 worth of greenery. In Brooklyn, $5,000. And because of these thieves, the public has lost priceless bonsais, rare orchids, and the world's smallest water lily. The basic fact is, if you know a botanic garden, somebody has probably stolen from it. This is not someone stealing a loaf of bread because they're hungry, right? I mean, this is somebody very clearly taking something that's not theirs, that's being maintained by a public nonprofit institution to benefit the public and posterity and deciding to try to create personal value and wealth gain out of that theft. So, I mean, I don't think we have to dance around whether or not it's evil. Is it, you know, evil on a high level? That's a different question. And it's a question we're going to grapple with for the rest of this show. Because crimes like this go far beyond questions of whether it's right or wrong to steal. It shows how a passionate hobby or obsession could put the planet and people's lives at risk. Next episode, we dive deeper into the shadows, following a team of poachers and join the detectives who are hot on their tail. Ended up going to this really kind of sketchy part of just full-on cartel narco territory in Mexico. This guy met us on the side of the highway on his motorbike and he was the poacher. I'm Summer Rain Oaks. Join us again next time for Bad Seeds. Bad Seeds is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. I'm your host, Summer Rain Oaks. Lucas Riley is our writer. Gabby Watts is our producer. And Amelia Brock is our senior producer. Fact-checking is by Savannah Hugley and Zoe Farrow. Original music is by Claire Campbell. Sound design and score is by Jesse Neiswanger. Development was by Brian Lavin and Jacob Selzer. Special thanks to our voice actors, Edelise Perez, Frank Swain, Ruben Wu, and Paul Fife. Executive producers are Brian Lavin, 
Elsie Crowley, Brandon Barr, Virginia Prescott, and Jacob Selzer. School of Humans. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.